and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Let's see your Bibles if you got them. Hold them up there. There's nothing like bringing a copy of God's Word into God's house to hear a message from God's man. And so if you will, open up to Colossians 3 there. And if you do not have a Bible, see me after the service. I'd like to give you a Bible. I'm preaching from the ESV. The ones we have to give out right now are New King James, but we'll give out some ESV. Sunday mornings, I'm using the ESV these days, English Standard Version. On Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, the teaching, I use the uh, New King James there. And also, you see on the back of your notes, I actually have today's passage, and it's parallel passage in Ephesians there for you. And also some words from uh, 1 Peter, because those are the three places. There are other places that have individual verses talking about husbands and wives, but these are three of the key teaching passages that put things together. Uh, To explain it to you before we get into the message here, um, the yellow is things that are true of, for all Christians, and as the text goes along, what is specifically true for both within a marriage. And then uh, the words to wives are in pink, and words to husbands in blue, and we'll get into that more in just a moment here. So if you don't have a Bible, you'll be able to follow along there uh, before I give you one after the service. Well, there was a woman once who looked over at her husband at the breakfast table. He was behind his newspaper, And he was paying absolutely no attention to her. Imagine that. She said to him, I bet you don't even know what today is. He got that deer in the headlights look like some husbands get. And he kind of put down his newspaper and he said, well, of course I do. Of course I do. Do you think I could forget such a thing? Well, he went on to work. And that morning, she received a dozen beautiful red roses to deliver to the doorstep. And she was very excited. These are neat. I got red roses. That's wonderful. An hour later, there came a big box of chocolates, beautifully wrapped. And in another hour, a gorgeous pajamagram arrived, again, beautifully wrapped. And she was so happy for all those things. So when he got home that evening, the table was set with a white tablecloth. There were fresh cut flowers on the table. A delicious meal smell filled the air. Beautiful music was in the background. And they just had a lovely dinner. And then after dinner, she walked over, took him by the hand and looked into his eyes and said, Sweetheart, I want to thank you for making this the most wonderful Groundhog Day I have ever had. (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) We laugh, but unfortunately, it's often true that we or husbands are often physically present in the room with our wives, but our thoughts are a million miles away, distracted by many other things that are on our mind. And because of that, our wives often feel undervalued, unappreciated, and neglected. In today's passage in Colossians, in this parallel one that's in Ephesians, we're going to see what the New Testament says to husbands in their role as husbands and to wives in their role as wives and to both as part of the marriage team that God puts them on together. 
or in together. Unfortunately, many times a husband goes to the scripture or hears a message and something's brought up that the wife is supposed to do. And a basic principle of Bible reading is don't read another person's mail, right? So if it says it's to husbands, then it's to husbands or wives to wives. Many times husbands will see something the wife's supposed to do and he'll get frustrated with her for not living up to what he thinks it's saying to her. And the same thing happens in reverse. As wives look into the scripture and see words to husband, they'll get frustrated at him for not living up to what she thinks it's saying to him. And so you have to read and apply your own mail. You can never determine another person's response in anything in life. You can only do what the Lord calls you to do for his glory. But there's a bigger problem with the roles of husbands and wives, and that is that many people have completely missed the part the verses preceding the role verses have, the verses just before the role verses, and the, the, the role those verses have in guiding the entire discussion. So today, we're going to look at who's to have first place in the Christian marriage. And here's a hint for you. It's not the husband. It's not the wife. It's not the children. Now, today, we're also going to look at what has second place in a Christian marriage. Now, here's another hint for you. It's not the husband or the wife or even the children. Now, before I even read the text, I want to say something to some of the women who hear this. I am so sorry for those of you who have seen a terrible distortion of male headship in your home of origin or in your marriage. A dad or a husband who was domineering or harsh you think of submission as letting abuse happen, and abuse is never okay, and you rightfully recoil. And I also feel sorry for some of the men who hear this, because I'm sorry that in your mom or wife, you saw a woman constantly fighting for control of the home, second-guessing any and every decision the man tried to make, often nagging but rarely showing respect and encouraging her man. When you think of trying to lead your wife, you think it would be as... Uh, exciting as putting your hand into a bee's nest, an invitation to get stung. I want to tell you today that the teaching Paul in two passages in Peter and 1 Peter give us gloriously adorned the gospel of Jesus Christ when lived out and modeled. But many times carnal and insecure people have lived out hurtful caricatures of these teachings. And if that's you, I'm sorry that you've seen it that way. I'm sorry that you're experiencing it that way. And uh, I, I just, you know, know, know of many situations where that's the case, and I'll be praying for you. But God's Word is our beautiful owner's manual for life, isn't it? And when we follow the things it says for us to do, the way God intends us to do it, it adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives us peace and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit that can come along with it. And so let's try to get it right today. So First Colossians 3, and I'm going to back up to verse 16 and read verses 16 through 19. And so in verse 16 of Colossians 3, we see, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Christians are to be characterized by verse 15, the peace of God we learned last week. 
Verse 16, scripture being saturating all that we say and do, and by singing, lots of singing together uh, with joy and thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. Verse 17, and whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Next week, we'll talk about children and parents, but we wanted to talk about wives and husbands today. Plenty to do in both those things. I'll go back to Ephesians. So, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So, you've got a couple books to your left there, and you'll get to it. Ephesians chapter 5. So, the Bible books have first chapters and then verses after that. So, you go to the fifth chapter, and you go to verse 19. You say, Danny, why do you take time sometimes to say that? Because uh, I remember my first time reading the Bible, and uh, I'd be so excited. I'd go to my friend and say, hey, look what I found in 1 Corinthians. And he'd say, oh, Danny, <laughs> it's 1 Corinthians. Oh, you know, don't make somebody feel stupid when they're in the Word, right? And oh, by the way, the British say 1 Corinthians, so I was smarter than I knew. Because <laughs> they sound smart when they say it and stuff. But it's okay to not know and then learn, right? The book, the chapter, the verse. Ephesians 5, 19. Addressing one another. So there is a, it is true that worship is before an audience of one where we're all worshiping the Lord together. He's the audience for our worship. But the way Ephesians says it, when we sing, we're addressing one another. We feed off of each other's joy. People are like, well, I don't like showy people in worship. Will you just be what you are before the Lord. But it is exciting and encouraging when you see joy in worship together, when people are expressing what God's doing in their heart and life. And don't you dare criticize anybody up here for showing joy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or for just being themselves and there's more of a flat expression on their faith. Some people are in constant pain and that sort of thing. But let, let worship happen. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see how Colossians and Ephesians are running parallel there? Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. I like that part. Hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. But I'm speaking that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The Christian marriage, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and thank you for the time we've worshiped already together today. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for what Colossians has already taught us about 
our standing in Christ, that all believers have a sufficient Savior and an all-sufficient salvation and are thoroughly equipped for everything they'll face in life related to life and godliness. Thank you for how in this chapter 3 we've seen that spill over into the kind of qualities that Christians should be working on in their lives, letting the Holy Spirit work out through them. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. And we're thankful for, Lord, your call uh, to be in right relationship with each other, God. And as these words that we've already been reading now extend into first wives and husbands and then children and parents and then workers and bosses, God, we thank you for your plan to give us order in the home and in society, God, and in your church. We thank you, God, that you have told us what we need to know to set us up for basic success. Lord, forgive us. Forgive all the times we have taken sweet, sweet scriptures that can provide such direction for our homes and lives. Forgive us for turning them into clubs, Lord, that have been used for all manner of just distortions and hideous caricatures, God. And Lord, if those words apply to anybody in this room, I pray today will be the day of repentance, Lord, even if they've been in the same patterns of harsh behavior toward their wives for 50, 60, 70 years, God, or even if uh, the wife has just nagged and bullied her husband to where he just runs away uh, in, in many different ways, God. I pray today will be a day of repentance and a day of restoration. And for all those who are not married yet, but one day may be, Lord God, we pray that these words will instruct and help as they go forward and you allow some of them to stay single for life, for a lifetime of service, and for others, you provide that special help mate along the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everything we've talked about so far in Colossians applies, of course, to all men and women, all boys and girls. It also applies to those who are single, those who are married, those who are divorced, those who are widowed. But today, as I've said, we have three of the key passages in the New Testament that speak to wives and husbands at the same time about their roles in marriage. And so I've already shown you the chart on the back of the page there, but we're going to walk down through the notes now and the text here. And so the first question we have to answer is, who comes first in the Christian marriage? And it's there in verse 17. God comes first in the Christian marriage. Look at Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does it mean for a Christian to do everything in the name of Jesus? It, it's, we talk about it the same way when we talk about what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And some people think, well, uh, he, he's like uh, our mascot. You know, we pray for what we want and then say in Jesus' name. And there's some magic about putting the name at the end and, and, and that sort of thing. But really, uh, we have to go back and, and, and take away our days where we see the kind of shenanigans you saw in the State of the Union address last week with the president saying something and others calling him a liar and other things like that. We don't respect authority a lot in our, uh, our culture, and we have a real hard time separating a position that we're to respect with a person in that position we don't like or something like that, you know. Um, but when you go back to the days the scriptures were written, the days of emperors and kings, the name of the king carried with it the idea of the authority of the king. When you went in the name of the king, you were going in his authority. So let's say I was the king and I had a message to send down to the nursery. And I picked one of you and I said, hey, I need you to take this message down there. I've written it, I've rolled it up, I put my signet ring on it, it's all here. You're going in my name, go down there, I need you to deliver this message. And suppose you said, well, here's my chance, here's my chance. 
I'm going to go down there and I'm going to ask for what I want and then say I come in the name of Pastor Danny. In that case, you would not be using my name rightly. You'd be using my name wrongly, right? So when we say we're going to pray in the name of Jesus, it's an action of humility. It means, Lord, I'm asking you for this. This is what I think ought to happen. But just like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. That's what we're saying when we come in the name of Jesus in prayer. We're saying, Lord... You told me when I'm anxious and worried to come to you and pray and then to have confidence that you're going to answer. Jesus said, pray in my name. Be confident that you've received your answer, right? Well, what did he mean? That you'd always get a yes? No. (laughs) What we're confident about is that if he says no, it's going to be for a greater yes. If he says wait, there's going to be some things to develop in us. And so to come in his name is to come in his authority. And what that means is, think about it this way, what's happening here. Name conveys the ideas of authority. Uh, We've got the authority of the marriage team, right? So it's Super Bowl Sunday. And many of you are very excited about the game later on. Should be a good one. You know, we sure hope it is. We don't want to blow out that not fun to watch and stuff. But each team has an owner. And each team also has a head coach. Well, for the Christian marriage, God is the owner and head coach of the marriage team. Amen? So he's the authority. He's the owner. And we put on the jersey that he's given us for our marriage. Only two people put it on. It's husband and wife. They both are that team. And God's the, he's the owner and he's the coach of the marriage. And what he wants to have happen in that marriage is what's to happen. So when verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, you're do, the very first area he relates that to is husbands and wives then children and parents, then bosses and workers. And uh, so he's going to take everything we've learned about so far, the qualities that we're supposed to have, and now we're applying them to the marriage relationship. He's the owner, he's the coach, so we view him that way. He comes first in the Christian marriage. So that leads to the next thing. What comes second in the Christian marriage? Ephesians 5.21, do you see it there? It's the last part of the first box. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another. The next verse is going to say, wives, submit to your own husbands. But before it calls the wife to submit to the husband, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what comes second in the Christian marriage? The marriage team itself comes before the individual team members. Who here has ever been on a team? All right. You were an important part of the team, right? And so were your teammates. But what the owner wanted to do with the team was more important than any of the individuals within. So God's the owner and coach. The team is also before any individuals in the team. Are you tracking with me? It's a simple thing, but many people have completely missed that. Completely missed that about the marriage relationship. Um, and, And I love how you talk about these qualities, right? Isn't it interesting? Both passages, Colossians and Ephesians, talk about singing. And then talking about having thankfulness and then submitting to one another in the name of Christ under his authority. Now, so before Ephesians and Colossians talks about roles and submission of the wife to the husband, it first calls for a mutual submission to this unique team that the Lord has put together. And we already said, verse 21, same word, submitting there. uh, It's uh, actually... um, 
in Ephesians actually borrowed, um, the context is from verse 21 uh, uh, into verse 22, but the word submit is further down in the passage as well. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But it's the same word, and we'll talk more about that word in a minute. So before she is called to submit to him, they are both called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, in this case, the marriage team. So when you get married, you and your spouse are part of a team that no one else is on. And the years are going to pass. Now, I don't know about your experience on a team, those who raise their hand. Um, and, and some things have functioned as a team, being in a chorus together or being in a workplace together. And, and you've had those set of shared experiences. When I get together with my buddies, my, my soccer playing buddies from college and stuff, we have some great memories to share. Sometimes we went through the wars together. Times we won, times we lost. Uh, we laugh at each other for the, a little bit for the times we blew it, you know, here and there. But, but what great camaraderie we have in that. And, and, and some of you have amazing memories from a team you were on or a workplace you were at or being uh, a firefighter with other firefighters, a policeman with other policemen and, and, and different things. But this team that God puts a husband and wife on, there's only two in that team. And they're going to share a lifetime worth of experiences together. No one else will ever share those. Those highs, those lows, those ups, those downs, those joys, those disappointments, those heartaches. And, and, and it, it's a, a tremendously thing. It's a holy thing. And I, I know that uh, some of you are, are divorced and remarried or divorced and not remarried. And, and I know there's pain there from that divorce and that time going forward. And all we can say is, if you can identify sins from the past that led to something like that happening then for your own sake, repent of that. It doesn't mean you're going to go back to that person. It just means you're going to finally acknowledge it before the Lord, get his healing there, and you're able to devote yourself and your attention to your marriage that you're in now. And for those that are out there and you're thinking, you know what, my wife and I, my husband and I, we're just about done. We're just about done. One of the sad things about marriage counseling, pastor marriage counseling, is people don't come to you until they're just about done. <laughs> you know, but it's amazing how just starting to talk about it, just starting to work on some things together can give a little relief and, and go on. But if, if that's you, if you're thinking, that's it, we're just about done, you, you have to know this. This research is pretty solid, and it's been done uh, pretty profoundly. They have been able to study those who thought about it and did get divorced and those who thought about it and stayed together. And the research says if you stick it out five more years, those who stay married are far more happier than those who go ahead and get divorced. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? There's something about this team that you're on and what you're going to experience together and making it through. Elizabeth and I have been married 30 years now. And I can say after all we've been through, the good, the bad, the, the prodigals, the, the, the disappointments, the joys, the great vacations, all the wonderful, I, I can truly say she's my best friend. And it's amazing how, you know, you, 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 you just, God brings you together to build that up over the years, the closest person you'll be to in life. It's also not a surprise that he's already talked about these Christian qualities and how we, we want the Holy Spirit to help develop these qualities in us that we talked about earlier in Colossians. Because marriage, for those that are in it, that's going to be one of the primary ways God develops 
that patience, that self-control, that uh, being considerate of another, being compassionate, all the different things we saw last week, that forgiving each other as you've been forgiven. Uh, In some ways, that's a harder calling than going and being a missionary in Africa or wherever, you know, because the only way you can do it is death to self. The very thing Jesus calls us to do. Deny yourself, die to self, take up your cross daily. Put God's purposes before your own. Put what God wants for this team ahead of your selfish interests as the husband, your selfish interests as the wife. Well, we've got the owner, right? God comes first. He's the owner, he's the head coach. Then we've got that the team itself is something that comes before the husband or wife or the kids, if there are kids. Who's the captain of the marriage team? Well... According to the scriptures here, the husband is the captain or head of the marriage team, verses 18, 19. Colossians 3:18 says the wife is to submit to her husband as is fitting in the Lord. The word submit is sometimes translated subjection. It's the Greek word upotasso, and it's found in 31 verses in the New Testament. It's a military-inspired term that means to place yourself in rank under. Now, you need to know, its use doesn't mean the husband is a better person than his wife. Often, he is not. Do you know what the first occurrence of the word subjection is in the Greek New Testament? Luke 2.51, which says that Jesus continued in subjection to his parents. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there anyone here who thinks Joseph and Mary were greater than Jesus? If so, you're in the wrong church. Of course not. Jesus was not less than Joseph and Mary. He was living in his role as a child in his parents' home. Greater than them, yet submitted to them. Why? For an orderly childhood home. And the word is also used in Romans 13.1 of us as citizens submitting to the governing authorities where we live. Now let me ask you this. Most of the police officers I know are tremendous people. Tremendous people. But is there anyone here who thinks police officers are inherently greater people than those they're called to protect and serve? No, of course not. They serve a necessary role that we're called to place ourselves under. You were going 75 in the 65 mile an hour lane. They pulled you over. You're under the authority. You take the ticket and you say thank you for the job you do. You don't say thank you may have another because you don't want another. But we're all equally valuable as people created in God's image. To have an orderly society, we've submitted ourselves under that role, even though they're not inherently better people. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it refers to the Son of God's submission, Jesus' submission to the Heavenly Father. Now, in John 10, 30, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. John 1 says Jesus is the God who created everything. There's no higher God than that. And yet, in the roles of the Trinity... We read that the Son is in submission to the Father and the Holy Spirit's in submission to the Father and the Son. Not that one's better. It's complementary roles to achieve the purposes that the Godhead has. So the word head as it relates to marriage could also be thought of the word captain as in captain of a team. Now I was captain of my college soccer team but I was not the best player. We had this English dude that scored 100 goals in four years. And and, and he was the best player on the team. He was the one that everybody talked about. Um, But you need an orderly team. And orderly teams have a captain on the field making sure the players are all working together for what 
needs to happen through that team. I was the captain. I was not the best player. I, I should have a whole section here. Who's the star player of the team? Well, usually the wife, right? <laughs> but let's talk about C.S. Lewis had this amazing quote to help us understand the need for submission uh, within marriage. Here it is. Of course, as long as the husband and wife are agreed, no question of a head need arise. And we may hope that this is the normal state of affairs in a Christian marriage. But when there's a real disagreement, what's to happen? So a good team in marriage will talk about everything and they'll make decisions in concert together. But every once in a while, decisions need to be made and you think one thing and your spouse thinks another. What are you going to do? That's what C.S. Lewis is talking about here. Talk it over, of course, but I'm assuming they have done that and still failed to reach agreement. What do they do next? They can't decide by a majority vote. There's only two. It's an endless deadlock if they disagree, right? For in a council of two, there can be no such majority. Surely only one or other of two things can happen. Either they must separate and go their own ways or else one or other of them must have the casting vote, the deciding vote. If marriage is permanent... One or other party must, in the last resort, have the power of deciding the family policy. You cannot have a permanent association without a constitution. Now listen, I love God's word. If he had put in that at the beginning of the marriage you draw lots and which spouse has decided to do it, there you go, right? But he didn't. He said that role was going to be for the male and somehow it's rooted all the way back in creation. And I don't understand all that. It's a mystery that also shows God's love for Israel and then God's love for the church, Christ's love for the church. But what does that look like in our marriage? What has Elizabeth being under my authority as the captain, the head of the team, what has that meant? Well, in 30 years of marriage, there's been, I don't know, 10, 15 times or so where I really thought we ought to do one thing and she really thought we ought to do another. And we talked it out and we were still at an impasse, just like C.S. Lewis's quote there. And in those times, invariably, after trying best to persuade the other, you know, because we like to try to, you know, get there with talking and stuff. But, but after still being uh, in disagreement, she has said, well, well you're, the, you're the head of the home. So I'll yield to you in this. Now let me tell you guys, about half the time, we should have done what she thought. And about half the time, it turned out what I thought we should do was the right thing to do. And that's about what it works out. And, and some of you guys are dumb as bricks. Go with you what your wife wants to do most of the time. Um, you know, you, you, just, you, you just, yeah, anyway, set that aside. Cut that out of the tape, whatever. But you know what's neat is, Elizabeth, our, our Southern Baptist, Baptist Faith and Message 2000 has a great article on the family. And in the article on the family, it says the wife is to graciously submit to her husband. And Elizabeth has modeled that for me for 30 years. During those times of disagreement where a decision needs to be made and we chose wrong because my choice was wrong, she's never once said those words that kill ahead of anything. I told you so. She's never once done that. We've just lived with the consequences and gone on from there. And many times we've earned the next decision needed to be more like the one she thought we ought to make in there. So that's what this looks like. Now, so we've got to the role of the wife in a Christian marriage, and we've already been talking about it there in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And we've already talked about why this is necessary, so let's move on. 
But if you already, ladies, if you already follow your husband's lead and he does it well, won't you take the time today to thank him for trying to love you like Christ loves the church and lead you intentionally? Now, on the back of your notes, look over at the Ephesians passage, and ladies, go all the way down to the final uh, uh, box there, where in pink, it says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So... Ladies, when you give your husband the gift of encouragement under that guise of respect, encouraging respect from a wife toward her husband is like oxygen to his soul. I've experienced it many a time. Down and defeated, and Elizabeth has encouraged me and picked me up, and it has just made me feel so good. Think about the judgments of Genesis 3 for a moment. Back in Genesis 3, let's take the time to go ahead and turn there. Genesis 3. The very first book of the Bible, three pages in, after the creation of them both, male and female, and bringing them together as husband and wife, they fell into sin at the temptation of Satan. And then God came and laid out the curses, what it would look like going forward for not just Adam and Eve, but all of us going forward. And so in verse 16, It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you haven't led, you you were silent, Adam. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So think about those judgments for a moment there. The woman will seek satisfaction in her relationship with her man, and she'll be frustrated. The man will seek satisfaction in his work and be frustrated. Now, do men experience pain in relationships? Sure they do. Do women that do amazing things in the workplace, do they experience frustrations at work? Of course they do. God does great things through the work of both men and women, but men in particular keenly feel if they think they are not making a difference in the world. They, they keenly feel it. They feel like a failure because uh, you know, things aren't working out there in the workplace or on the sporting field or whatever else. They often feel like failures who aren't accomplishing much in the world. And when they get home, they often feel so beat up. And when they come home to a wife who encourages them, it is like oxygen to their souls. It's like having your own personal cheerleader. And I know that image makes some of you ladies want to gag and stuff, but every man ought to have a lady in his life who says, you know what? You did your best and that's all you can do and they don't know how to treat the guy you are over there or whatever. Just however it is to encourage and pick him up after he feels so defeated and discouraged. Now, David played uh, my tribute a little while ago to God be the glory. And so uh, to just even things out a little bit, I want to tell you about one of my favorite songs from the 80s here, Tom Petty's song, Here Comes My Girl. So here's a line from it that, that just, I mean, this guy wasn't even a believer probably, but he instinctively had this sense of what it means when his lady encouraged him. He says, every now and then I get down to the end of the day, I'll just stop and ask myself why I've done it. It just seems so useless to have to work so hard, nothing ever really seems to come from it. But then she looks me in the eye 
and says, we're going to last forever. And you know, I can't begin to doubt it. No, because it just feels so good, so free, so right. I know we ain't ever going to change our minds about it. Hey, here comes my girl. Here comes my girl. And then in the second, third verse, he says, every time it seems like there ain't nothing left, no more I find myself having to reach out and grab hold of something. I catch myself wondering. I catch myself waiting. I catch myself worrying about some silly little thing that don't add up to nothing. But then she looks me in the eye. And says, we're going to last forever. And you know, I can't begin to doubt it because it feels so good, so free, so right. I know we ain't ever going to change our minds about it. Hey, here comes my girl. Here comes my girl. And so many times I've walked home ready to just say, you know what, what's the use? Hey, just like Pastor Lamar, right? Is my mic on? Are y'all listening? Are you applying anything? Are things happening? And it does mean a lot when you encourage me. But it means so much more when here comes my girl. And she says, good sermon, honey. Or gives me the constructive feedback that I need on that. Now we'll get to husbands in a moment. But on the back of your notes, in the pink, look what First Peter has to add for wives. And this is definitely a, uh, a summary uh, of what it says there. Win over your disobedient husbands as they see your respect and pure conduct. God wants your respect, your encouragement, ladies, and your pure conduct to help even disobedient husbands get right with God. Look what it says there. Uh, Adorn yourself more with inner beauty than outer beauty. That's a summary. He wants you to spend more time on inner beauty than outer beauty, developing that godly person inside that is patient and compassionate and loving and has self-control and all of those qualities that we saw. Now, that doesn't mean you don't adorn yourself outwardly too because I like the translation that puts the word merely in First Peter about the jewelry and the other things, you know. But if that's your obsession, if you look good on the outside but things aren't happening on the inside, then you've got the order all wrong. It's janky. And so develop the inner person, the gentle and quiet spirit. He wants you to submit to your husband. He wants you to do good, to do good. Lots of good works that help your family and people need. That's what we see in the Proverbs 31 woman. She's ready to help her own family. She's ready to help the poor. She's ready to help the needy that she comes into contrast with. A contact with. And in 1 Timothy 5, godly widows are commended for also being women of good works who helped the poor, who helped the people in the, the church community and beyond. He wants you to trust God. Look what it says there to do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He wants you to trust God and do your part in the home rather than worry and fear all the frightening things that are out there in the world. And there are a lot of frightening things out there in, in the world. There are are a lot of circumstances, and you're going, I just don't know how this is going to work out. And my husband, we pray about it, but but I just can't help but worry. And and, and so I'm, I'm constantly asking him about it. He says here, don't fear all the frightening things that are out there in the world. Now, the Bible makes clear that even if a woman works outside the home, she has a key role in managing their household. And uh, if your husbands, if your wives do a great job managing your household, then thank her for that this week. And wise husbands will empower their wives to do it. There is something about us that the, the lady cares more most of the time about the presentation of the home than the man. And, and, and men, you're not, you're, you're not in college anymore. You're not in a fraternity anymore. You can't have pictures of three stooges in the living room like you did when they came into your dorm room and stuff. 
And if you're fighting over your wife or what the space looks like, you're, you're being silly about that. Let her adorn the house like that. Uh, Martin Luther said it like this, in domestic affairs, I defer to Katie. In all other matters, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sounds like what a monk would say after he married late in life, wouldn't it? <laughs> but that's what he did. He was a monk who married a nun, and he said, hey, she's taking care of the home front, and I get to do all the things I do because she's got that covered. And, of course, they taught the kids together and raised their children up. Hopefully, your husband realizes what you're better at in the home and lets you lead in those areas. It'd be foolish not to. If the wife's better with the finances, let the wife take care of the finances. Every once in a while, you run into a wife that loves to be the one to cut the grass. Don't judge that that's happening if that's what the wife likes to do. That'd be great, honey. No, 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 no chance. Okay. <laughs> if he doesn't help you a lot, you may be filled with worries and fears. But 1 Peter 3, 6 says, do not fear anything that is frightening. And for some of you, that's the number one thing you'll have to deal with today, ladies. You fear, your fear frustrates those around you, including your husband as he tries to lead. And your worry then turns into nagging or into you being a controlling, domineering wife and mother. doesn't make any situation better. Let me tell you what happens when that's how you push in the home, ladies. What happens is you're going to get either a fight or flight response in your man. If your husband fights back all the time, the whole family will lose its harmony. Just always be like this. There is also loss, though. If you win and your husband just runs away, some haven't run away physically, but they've run away emotionally. They've run away spiritually. And so don't let that fear about things turn into a nagging and domineering. Fulfill your role, wives, for the glory of God. And God will honor and bless you even if your husband remains a turkey. And some of them will remain turkeys. Then the role of the husband in a Christian marriage, verse 19. Look what it says there. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't be domineering with them. Don't be embittered toward them. Don't misunderstand submission to mean you're to dominate them. And here's where I'm glad Ephesians 5 supplements more of what God calls husbands to than Colossians 3. Colossians is very simple, and many times other passages uh, break it out a little bit more. And since Ephesians is the companion passage, we also want to look at some of the things it says there. And look what it says there in the, in the third box for husbands under the Ephesians side. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow! Wow, what a statement, right? Uh, how did Christ love the church? This is worth a lifetime of meditation for husbands in relationship to their wives. How did Christ love the church? Well, Mark 10, 45 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's service, it's sacrifice. His salvation protects us from hell. It provides for our total person needs. He had to sacrifice in many ways to leave heaven and come to earth, to die on the cross for our sins, and so there's sacrifice there. He goes on to lead us, to lead the church to God's higher purposes for our lives, and husbands are to lead the home to it being a Christian lighthouse that shares Christ's love with any ones that come into the home and the children, uh, children's friends and uh, others within the church. It's, you're leading to God's higher purposes for this team that we're on. He will lead by serving. He'll serve by leading. Ephesians 5, do you see it there? It goes on to say that he will love his wife as his own body that he'll nourish and cherish that body. 
He'll nourish and cherish his wife. He'll consider his wife as another part of the body to take care of. He'll hold fast to his wife. And that's not just meeting physical needs, but emotional needs and spiritual needs. I was meeting with a fellow one time. I was learning from him about uh, molecular genetics. He, he, he was at UVA and was studying cures for cancers and hypertensions and stuff like that. So I was learning from him and dropping my jaw every other word he said and things like that. But he wanted my help in being a little bit better of a husband and stuff. And so we were going through the scriptures together. We started Ephesians 1. We came to know our identity in Christ. We worked our way through the book. We got to Ephesians 5. And this part where it says in Ephesians 5 that as Christ loved the church... And then it next says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water worth, so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and blank without blemish. My brother friend there was struck with the thought as he was doing his preparation for our meeting together uh, that week at uh, breakfast. This is the thought that struck him. What if everything my wife knew about following Jesus came from my ministry in her life? Where would she be at spiritually? And even before he got to the breakfast together, he hung his head because he realized she'd be nowhere man. He hadn't helped her at all. Totally passive, not leading, not trying to point out the good things he was learning. Uh, always being a hassle when she wanted to come to church and stuff like that. And, and, and God changed him. He became one of the best husbands I ever saw. He just said, man, I got my model now. I've been, I, I, I've been wanting her to do the work and me to benefit from it. And now I know I need to love her the way Jesus Christ loves his church. And it changed everything. It'll change everything for some of you. And of course, we're all so selfish. I'm so selfish. We're so selfish. It's always what we come back to when we're blowing it. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Remember Genesis 3? The wife seeks satisfaction in her relationship with a man. She's frustrated. So he's commanded in Ephesians 5.33 to do what doesn't come natural to him to, to, to really show expressions of love. Talk about the love languages and you can buy that book and it will help you. We have a bit of a problem of it in our house because Elizabeth has all five love languages come to think of it. And so it's been, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, nourishing love from a husband toward his wife that shows how much he cherishes her. It's like oxygen to her soul. And many of you ladies are saying amen then. Has that been you, Mr. Husband, out there? Or have you been self-centered, selfish, and harsh with your wives? Men, look again at the first Peter part in blue on the back of your notes. See what it says there? First Peter 3, 7 adds, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel. Now, folks, there's a bunch of Bible haters out there that love to pounce on 1 Peter 3. He said the wife is weaker than the husband. See there? God's word is so misogynistic and hates women and all those things. F come on. Come on. Peter's point is obvious, isn't it? The average man can physically overwhelm the average woman. Um, I don't know about those who have had jinjitsu or not, you know, but the average man can physically overwhelm the average women. They're often harsh and rude with them. He can shout louder than her. He can approach her in a more threatening way. Uh, he can scare her. Don't do it, man. You can overwhelm her by getting up in her face or being threatening or being louder. Peter says, don't do that. Here's what we should be talking about because this is the truth. 
Peter was the first man in world history that called for men to be considerate of their wives and show them honor like a fine wine, fine china, or fine art, to consider them the best of himself. That's what he has in mind there. And it had never been said. It had never been said in the pages of world history. In the Roman Empire, men treated their wives like the slaves or like children, and they thought nothing of treating them badly. And here comes the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. Here comes the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. And it changed everything. It changed everything in the Roman Empire. Over and over, people said, what they're doing is better. Women embraced it. Men embraced it. And all of a sudden, a decadent society was won to Christ. So much so that by the 300s, Emperor Constantine said, we can't beat them, let's join them. As one Roman exclaimed, what remarkable women these Christians have. Men who were secure in their relationship with Christ, loved their wives as Christ loved the church. It brought out the best in their wives. The husbands were serving, the men's were serving. They had this new team they were on together and Romans wanted in on that. They saw that it was better than their adulterating and their fornicating and treating their wives so badly and their children and, and others harshly and all those different things. It changed everything. That's your legacy, Christians. That's where we come from. So fulfill your role, husband for the glory of God and he will honor and bless you even if your wife does not graciously submit to you. Notice what he says there in 1 Peter, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, men, if you will love your wives, consider your wives like you're supposed to, then what will happen is that block between you and God may finally go away. You haven't been doing your role in the home and it's affecting your relationship with God. You do right by her and it'll even help your spiritual life grow. God will start listening better to your prayers. Wow. Now let's think of one big implication of this teaching. We've often been misled by those trying to squeeze verses into a mold so out comes a family that looks like 1950s sitcoms. The 1950s sitcoms don't even adequately describe many of the life that some of our older people in here experienced. I read recently that one thing has been consistent for over 70 years, 78% of women work outside the home. Today we've discovered that what matters most in the Christian home is that the marriage team is functioning at its best under these basic rules, roles. It is good for the husband to pour into his children. We'll talk more about that next week. It's the good for the wife to be there as the mother with her children. There's years you can't get back, those early years when we had those years. Uh, when Elizabeth would pull nursing shifts, I was always home with them. And so we were able to find a schedule that worked for that. That's so important. It's also so wonderful to have a church like ours that can come alongside through TLC and through uh, the things we do here at the church, all those different things. But if your marriage is a team, then you should be comfortable functioning with what works best for the team. Again, one example we already gave was if the lady's better than the finances, that should be what happens. And, and, you know, it doesn't always mean mom is the best one to stay home with the kids. On some marriage teams, that role is best served by dad, and that's okay. Some of you have lived that out very beautifully before us. And those are just a few examples. There are many stereotypes Christians have made that don't hold up to biblical, closer biblical scrutiny. In the Bible, we have many examples of different homes working out the basic instructions here in Colossians in ways that work best for them. I think about Paul. He chose not to ever marry so he could give more time to serving God. And he said, I wish everybody could be single like I am so more would get done for Jesus. 
He said, it's okay to marry if you want, but I appreciate being single for service. There's Peter's wife back at home holding down the fort while he took ministry trips and sometimes going along with him. There were Philip's four virgin daughters sharing biblical truth around them while they waited on God's will concerning husbands. There's the Proverbs 31 woman working inside and outside the home, including doing real estate deals. There's Priscilla and her husband Aquila together leading their mobile home business as they open their home to a house church. And so they were a working team as well as a home team. There's Lydia, the businesswoman, getting saved on a business trip and then making sure all of her household heard the gospel. And for all of them, there was a new extended family called the church to help them and their families navigate life in the godless Roman Empire full of wicked, sinful expressions. And we're in a similar situation today. So it's just as important that all of us by faith do our roles in the church and roles in our families so a world broken in so many ways can finally see Jesus Christ through us and through our marriages. And if you've got anything that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart this morning that you need to give back over to the Lord, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess means to say the same thing about. If you've been a husband who's been harsh, domineering, distant, whatever it is, if you confess that God's word calls that sin and agree with that, then you can turn from it and get back to where God wants you to be. If you're a wife that has some things to confess there related to making everything a fight, not submitting and not encouraging your man, first confess it, say the same thing God does about it. Repent, remember the, the, what started that fire of your marriage with each other and reorder your life around biblical priorities. Again, there's no guarantee that if you do your part, your spouse will reciprocate. The Bible's very clear that we can't do what the other person in a relationship should do, whether it's parent, child, husband, wife, worker, boss, coach, players. We can only do our part for the glory of God. That's why I talk about 5G living. Do everything you do for the glory of God because you can be in a difficult marriage and do your part and God will bless that even if the other person doesn't reciprocate. Then you do good for your fellow man and marriage is one of the ways you do good for your fellow man. You do everything you do for the gospel to get to non-believers. You do everything you do for the growth of your fellow believers in Christ and then you do it all with a grateful heart. Will you bow your heads? Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.